0: You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axcamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. Well, well, well. Good morning, folks at Axe Church. I wish you shalom in the name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Peace upon you all. Grace. This morning, we're going to be spending some time looking at a particular aspect. Got to have my coffee. A particular aspect of that question, who is Jesus? Because the Lord did not send His Son into the world as a gigantic mystery that could not have been anticipated or understood. And we're going to be looking at what's involved in coming to an understanding of the messianic prophecies in the scriptures. So what I want to do is spend some time with you this morning weaving together scriptures. And towards the end, I'll even toss in a little treat. There's gonna be a little treat at the end. For everybody who endures patiently to the end, there will be a treat. But you got to be here to get the treat, okay? (laughs) So what we're going to be looking at are some messianic prophecies. If we're looking at the question, who is Jesus? We have to understand that the Lord, who watches over his word, did not do anything regarding the most important thing that he did, which was to send the Son, without sending many, many, many messages about this, over a period going back thousands of years. And so we're gonna take a look at some of these. Now, if you don't like the content of today's message, you're gonna have to take it up with the author because I didn't write this. All we're doing is we're bringing it together. And I hope to be able to give you a better view of what those scriptures have to say. And then, like I said, a treat at the end. So let's dig right in. If we, if we take a look at the prophecies, hello, hello, <laughs> the prophecies, there we go. If we look at the very first one, this one from John 5.39, uh, there are several that we have to look at because the Scriptures state very clearly the importance of understanding what the message of the Scriptures happens to be there is one thing that the Scriptures are written about. If you've ever wondered what the one thing is, Christ himself says it here. He was in a discourse with Pharisees. And back and forth and back and forth and back and forth they went. It would eventually get ugly if you were to read, especially heading out John 6... 8 you'll find some really ugly stuff because the unbelief, the darkness hardened in the face of the light. And in speaking to the Pharisees he said to them, you know, you look at the scriptures carefully because you believe that in him you have eternal life. Matter of fact, we could almost say that the Pharisees and others of that ilk we're obsessive in the way that they handle the scriptures legalistic to the core but the lord said they testify about me the scriptures the torah they're about me everything in the scriptures everything points to christ there is nothing that does not point to christ you can spend a lifetime exploring the Scriptures, and you'll find the further you go, Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, is standing there looking at you. There is no place that you can go in the Scriptures where you cannot find Him. I once had a vision while I was driving down a road, it really happened. I was driving on the road to George Fox University, as I did many times over a lot of years, and I saw Christ standing beside the road as I'm driving. There's Christ, and it's like, and there's Christ, and there's Christ, as I drove, right there on the right side of the road. There was Christ. And so the whole thing was a revelation to me, a reminder to me of the fact that I can't go anywhere without Him. Where will you flee from me, said the Lord. Where can you go to hide from me? Just ask Jonah. In the next slide, Yeshua. I'll be using that name a lot because it's Jesus' name in the Hebrew, Yeshua, which, as I've told you before, means God saves. The name of Christ is God saves. Jesus in Luke 24, again speaking to the hard-hearted people who were opposing him. But these people were believers. Because he's on the road to Emmaus. You'll remember the road to Emmaus. You'll remember the disciples who were, who were so shaken and distraught at Christ's death. And he comes alongside of them, right? He talks to them. And he says, how foolish you are. How slow you are to believe what the prophets have said. You have the Scriptures. The Messiah had to suffer these things. It's written in the book. Did you not read the scrolls? Have you not heard this? Is this new to you, really? Then we're told, interestingly enough, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all of the passages of the Scriptures about themselves. That was a long conversation, okay? Would you love to have a recording of that exposition? The Lord gave them teaching. That's kind of interesting. I'll touch on it again later. But the word Torah in the Hebrew, which the King James unfortunately translated law, is not a particularly good way of expressing what Torah means. Torah literally means teachings or instruction. It's God's teaching. It's not God bringing down the hammer. It's not God giving you a speeding ticket. It's God saying, let me show you the way. It literally has a sense of hitting the mark The underlying Hebrew verb from which Torah is taken is Yerah. It means to shoot at something to hit the mark. As if you had a bow and arrow and were shooting to hit the target. Torah is that which helps us to hit the mark. Sin, by the way, interestingly enough, in the Hebrew, sin has a strong sense of missing the mark. Sin is what causes us to miss the mark. But Torah helps us to hit it. The Lord was saying the scriptures, Torah, it is about me. Why are you so slow after all this time? And you believe. You believe. And afterwards, what did the disciples say when they realized who he was? Didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't we glow as He showed Himself in the Scriptures? I wish I had a recording of that presentation. On the next slide, passage out of Hebrews chapter 10. Fascinating. All my translations, as noted, are in the International Standard Version, which I like quite a lot says, for this reason the Scriptures say, when the Messiah was about to come into the world, you did not want sacrifices and offerings, but you prepared a body for me. Now there's a whole great discussion that you could have right there. You prepared a body for me. That's speaking of the body of Christ. Going on in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you never took delight. Burnt offerings and sin offerings, just so you understand, were not about the the ox itself, the lamb. It wasn't about the fact that God likes home cooking. It was always about the fact that those offerings pointed to the Messiah. They pointed to his son. They pointed to the one who was coming. Everything symbolized the coming son, the coming Savior. Yeshua HaMashiach was foreshadowed in all of those. And when he actually then came and suffered and died and rose again, all of the symbols that had been pointed to by all of the sacrificial system were fulfilled. Tetelestai, said Christ on the cross. It is finished. Then I said, I. Remember, herein, herein, the psalmist, the voice of Christ. This is Christ. Yeshua says, See, I have come to do your will, O God. In the volume of the scroll, this is written about me. This is about me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It is me, the heavens declare, the firmament shows, you cannot miss seeing me unless you have no eyes. I was driving down the road. On the next slide, just so that you understand that conversation on the road to Emmaus, by actual count, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, we have over 300 prophecies about Christ, 300 about Yeshua HaMashiach. And for those curious, once you get into the New Testament, you'll find a further 175 prophecies which have to do about him and his future coming. Because some of the oldest prophecies that we know of, I won't go into this discussion, some of the very first prophecies ever uttered were about the second coming of Christ. So we only have uh, a little bit of time. I can only cover a few. Okay, on the next slide, we start. Genesis 3.15. As the Lord is addressing what what the King James translated as the serpent, right? But actually, when Eve was tempted... She was not tempted by the serpent per se. In the Hebrew, she was tempted by Nahash. Hanhash. Do you know what that means? The Shining One. The Shining One tempted her. Go and double-check 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15 sometime. So the shining one appeared. Well, when the Lord cursed Nahash, the shining one, wherein we know here is Satan attempting to manifest as a being of light, to deceive. He said, I'll place hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, her offspring, Here we have, right at Genesis 3.15, her offspring, the promised seed. Here we have the first promise of Yeshua. Right here. Right at the beginning. He'll strike you on the head, you'll strike him on the heel. In other words, there's going to be a mutual wounding, right? His head is crushed. Nahash's head is crushed. If you have a crushed head, your days are not long. By the way, how did this happen? He'll crush your head, you'll bruise his heel. It's one act. How did that happen? By the way, I'll leave you to speculate on the who your offspring is because he is saying Nahash, you're gonna have an offspring too. Ooh. Oh, how interesting. On the next slide. We have the promise of the good shepherd out of Ezekiel 34, a particularly favorite passage of mine. After condemning the bad shepherds of Israel, and actually talking about the bad sheep too, this is what the Lord says. Watch me. I'm going to search for my flock. The bad shepherds have scattered it. I can't trust them, therefore I will do it. I'll watch over them myself. Just as a shepherd looks after his flock during the daytime when he is with them, so also I'm going to watch over my sheep, delivering them from every place where they've been scattered during the times of gloom and doom. I'm going to gather my people. I will be their shepherd. You now understand. John 10. Because when Christ said, I am the good shepherd, he was directly linking himself to this prophecy. I will send became I am. Yeshua said, this one, that is me. The scriptures, Torah the prophecies they are written about me there is nothing else that the prophetic scriptures are pointing to that is not me you cannot you cannot read in this book the scroll of Torah the prophets the poetry without finding me i am the good shepherd On the next slide, we're told that it was prophesied that Yeshua would die, but his body would not corrupt. Psalm 169, therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, and my body will dwell securely. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, You will not allow your Holy One to experience corruption. That's the thing to realize about Christ. He really was without sin. He did not have a body of death. You and I were born into bodies of death. He was not. You now know why He was born of a virgin. Because it was the Holy Spirit who was the Father, and Adam all die. In Christ all are made alive, but for Him to be the perfect spotless lamb, He had to be born in a body without death. There was no death in His body. His body, His soul, His spirit, you remember the body, soul, spirit we've talked about, were all clean and absolutely pure. They were without spot, they were without blemish. My body will dwell securely. What did Christ say? Which of you convicts me of sin? What did Christ say? The devil is coming for me because he knows he has nothing in me. Or as Roman theologians put it, non posso picare, not possible to sin. When Christ was tempted, it was we're talking about the presentation of opportunities, not about response. There was no response in him at all. His response to sin, to evil, to wickedness was absolute revulsion. He resisted all the temptations of Satan. He resisted all the temptations that the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, those who hated him brought to him. Their confession of defeat was that they had to murder him, which told you who he was and told you who they were. Darkness does the deeds of darkness, or as John put it, The light came into the world. The darkness did not comprehend it. It can't. It can't. Which is, why, by the way, why you must be born again before you will see it. Unless you have that new spirit, this is all nonsense. Without the new spirit, you're walking around in darkness. And darkness cannot comprehend light. He did not, while he was in the tomb, corrupt. Not a bone of him was broken. Also according to the prophetic scriptures, he did not corrupt. His body was not decaying. First fruits, remember. First fruits and unleavened bread, remember? The unleavened bread, there's no corruption in it. It's not going to decay. Unleavened bread pointed to Christ in the tomb without corruption. Another prophecy, by the way, that was written into ritual. We're told in the next slide that the Messiah would be cut off on a precise day. Sorry that I can't keep flowing these onto very large screens for you, so I'll read it in case you're having trouble seeing it. This is an extremely important prophecy, and this is out of Daniel 9, 70 weeks. 70 Shabuah have been decreed concerning your people and your holy city, seventy sevens, a Shabuah's seven, a seven of anything, in this case, a seven of years, to restrain transgression, to put an end to sin, to make atonement for lawlessness, to establish everlasting righteousness, to conclude vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Well, that still hasn't happened. I'm not going to go into an explanation of, you have to parse this. If you understand and discern, this makes perfect sense. But you're being told that an exact count of seventy-sevens of years, 490 years were decreed to complete all of these things, which is the return of Christ himself. So be informed and discern that seven sevens, seven Shabuah and 62 Shabuah will elapse from the issuance of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed commander, the plaza and moat, will be rebuilt, though in troubled times. Then after the 62, seven plus 62, that is 69 weeks, the anointed one will be cut down but not for himself. Again, skipping over all the other fascinating stuff, just note right there at the end that after 69 Shabuah, 69 times 7, 483, from the issuing of the decree to rebuild the city, the the anointed one will be cut off, but not for himself. Cut off. Who's the anointed one? Who? It's Christ. What does the word Messiah mean? What does Mashiach mean in the Hebrew? The anointed one. It means anointed. What does Christ mean in the Greek? Ho Christos. Same thing. The anointed one. The Greek word is the same as the Hebrew. Hamashiach is the same as the Christ. Ho Christos. So the anointed one was cut off. God specifically said, Well, if you count, the, the, we know what the issuing of the decree to rebuild the city was. It was the decree of, remember, Pastor David talked about this a few weeks back, decree of King Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. That happened in 445 BC. A particular day, you count 400, 483 uh, years later. That is 173,380 days. And on that week, what is happening? Christ is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the people are greeting him by saying, Baruch haba! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he was cut off. The anointed one was cut off. One more week remains. One more Shabuah of years. One more. You now know why the time of the tribulation is seven years long. It is the 70th Shabuah. It must be. When Christ was cut off, that clock stopped. Stopped. From then until the 70th week happens, well, here we have the church. All this time in between, the massive grace of God, but when the evil one, the lawless one, is revealed, the clock starts again. A final, the final 70, the 70th Sabuah, that last seven years must be. It is decree. On the next slide of Zechariah 12. At that time, I will search out and destroy all of the nations who have come against Jerusalem. This is during that 70th Shabuah, at the very end of the 70th Seventh. The airy end of the tribulation. The Lord, through Zechariah, says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the residents of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplications, and they will look to me. The one they have pierced. It was prophesied by Zechariah hundreds of years before Christ that the Messiah, the coming one in glory, would be the one who is pierced. What did Christ say to Thomas? You don't believe? Behold my hands, behold my side. Reach in if you want to and believe. I am the pierced one. The Lamb of God was always pierced too. The Passover lamb was always pierced. Always. And the next slide. In Zechariah, another passage from Zechariah 9.9. 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of, Jeru- of Zion. Cry out, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and he is able to save. Yeshua, God saves He is humble and riding on the colt, the foal of a donkey. That's on day 173,880. Christ is riding into Jerusalem on the foal of an ass. And when the Pharisees heard the people crying out, Baruch haba bachim they went to disciples and say, "Tell, tell the people not to say that. They knew what it meant. That's right out of Psalm 118. That's a messianic psalm they're greeting him as the Messiah. What did Christ say? If they don't cry out, the stones will cry out. This is the day, which by the way, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, Particularly references that day, the day of Baruch Haba, Bashem Arunai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he did so as the scriptures predicted. Yeshua arrived on the foal of a donkey. On the next slide. Psalm 2, Messiah is the Son of God, will rule the world at the end of the age. This was all the way back right at the beginning of the Psalms. Remember the first part where the nations are raging against God. And then it says, "'He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. In his anger he rebukes them, and in his wrath he terrifies them. I have set my king on Zion, my holy mountain.'" Let me announce the decree of the Lord that he told me. And here we have the Lord speaking to his son in Psalm 2. You are my son. Today I have become your father. The very conception of Christ himself with Mary. This day I have begotten you by the power of the Holy Spirit I have prepared a body for you, my son. It will be without sin. It will be without spot or blemish. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. This is the father speaking to the son. You will break them with an iron rod. You will shatter them like pottery. Here we have the righteous rule of Christ during his millennial kingdom. He will rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years, he will rule. And for the first time all of us will get to see a righteous government. For the first time. Because we've never seen it in all of human history. Never, never, never. On the next slide. There was a prophecy that said that the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11. Again that wonderful book of Zechariah. I told them, if it's all right with you, pay me what I've earned, but if it isn't, don't. Very interesting. The voice of Judas reverberating here. So they paid out what I had earned, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord told me, throw the money into the treasury, this, that magnificent value they placed on me. Don't ever think that God can't be sarcastic. Nobody does sarcasm better than God. Nobody. Look what they paid for me. I gave myself for the people. Look what they valued it at. So I took the 30 shekels, that is pieces of silver, and threw them into the treasury of the temple of the Lord, which, if you read about what happened with Judah, that's what happened. And, of course, then he went out and hanged himself. On the next slide, we were told that Yeshua HaMashiach would be born in Bethlehem. Micah, this is the most famous prophecy in Micah. As for you, Bethlehem of Ephratah, even though you remain least among the clans of Judah, nevertheless, the one who rules in Israel for me will emerge from you. His existence has been from antiquity, even from eternity. There's no mistaking that. We're not talking about just a pretty good guy or another prophet. This is the eternal son, the ancient of days written in flesh, the body that was prepared for him. On the next slide, I'm not going too fast, I hope. The Messiah will be at the right hand of God, the righteous king, a high priest forever. A declaration from the Lord to my Lord. That gets confusing. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Father says to the Son, sit here, the right hand of God. Until then, which is the day that is coming? When the Lord extends your mighty scepter from Zion, this is the rule from Jerusalem of Christ with a rod of iron, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your soldiers are willing volunteers on your day of battle. In majestic holiness from the, world, from the womb, from the dawn, the dew of your youth belongs to you. From the womb, righteousness was his. He was born without spot or blemish. The Lord took an oath and will never recant, that is, never take it back. You are a priest forever after the manner of Melchizedek. I'm not going to dig into that deeply here and now. Melchizedek's amazing, though. Amazing. Abraham meeting him in the city of Shalom, Yerushalom. In the Hebrew, when he says... After the manner of Melchizedek, out of Genesis. In the Hebrew, his name was Melchizedek, king of righteousness, is what the name Melchizedek means. That's the manner of Christ, who, by the way, you'll remember Melchizedek greeted Abraham. And accepted his tithes. And what did Melchizedek offer back to Abraham? Do you remember? What did did Melchizedek in return offer back to Abraham when Abraham worshiped and brought tithes? No one remembers? Bread and wine. Melech Zedek brought back to them in the city of Jerusalem, before it was Jerusalem, the city of Shalom, peace, the righteous king brought to them bread and wine. You will be like that, my son. As a matter of fact, I kind of wonder exactly who Melech Zedek was, that he accepted worship. On the next slide, one of the most famous Messianic prophecies, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Watch! Watch! The virgin is conceiving a child and will give birth to a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. That name we know, right? Emmanuel. Emmanuel sing it christmas all the time. Emmanuel in the Hebrew God with us. God with us. His name will be God's with us. I wonder who that's written about. On the next slide. Out of Psalm 40. Very interesting statement because it's talking about the Messiah, the perfect sacrifice, about whom the Scriptures are written with delight in the Torah and the will of God. You take no delight in sacrifices and offerings. Only to the extent that they point to Yeshua, do those sacrifices and offerings mean anything. The Lord's not rejoicing in the blood of oxen or lambs. He's not rejoicing in the smell of burning flesh. He's rejoicing in the fact that these things symbolize his beloved son. If you will study this, he says, then you will see and understand the completion and the fulfillment when he comes. You have prepared my ears to listen. You require no burnt offerings or sacrifices for sin. Then I said... (laughs) Who's the I? Yeshua says, here am I. In the Hebrew, Hineni. Here I am. I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written about me. Again, I delight to do your will, my God, your law. The Torah is part of my inner being. And indeed, it's written about me. It expresses me. I am the expression of God, the visible image of the invisible God. On the next slide, this one should be immediately recognizable, right? The Messiah would teach with parables. Psalm 78, Listen, my people, to my instruction. Hear the words of my mouth. I will tell a parable. Speaking riddles from long ago. But of course, as we see on the next slide, the main body of the people would not understand. And The disciples said, Why do you teach them in parables? The Lord says, Psalm 78 Was it not said that this is how I would teach? Yeshua was a storyteller, he told stories because stories touch people deeply. Human beings are highly moved by stories. We relate to stories, more than anything, from our childhood. Then I heard the voice of the Lord as He was asking, "'Whom will I send? Who will go for us?' "'Here I am,' I replied, "'Send me.'" This was Isaiah's calling out of Isaiah 6. "'Go,' he responded, "'tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Dull the mind of this people. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. By doing so, they won't see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Why? They were such a rebellious, evil people, such a contentious, idolatrous people. The Lord finally says... Dull them. If they will not hear, let them walk in darkness. Let them let them have no sound whatsoever. This is fearful stuff. And so when the people say, Oh, what's this stuff? What's this mean? They walked away. On the next slide. The Messiah, we're told, would be a humble suffering servant. Okay, I'm not going to read through all of this because this passage is Isaiah 53. If you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, it's absolutely dense, dense with prophecies about Christ. It's unmistakable. Okay, It talks about him from his youth, all the way through his suffering, his battering, what he endured on the cross, his death on the cross. This is all laid out by Isaiah. As a matter of fact, this passage in Isaiah 53 is so powerful. It is so clearly Christ in his suffering as the suffering humble servant, as the one who takes away the sins of the world, As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. It is so powerful and unmistakable that truly it is not read in the synagogues to this day. You will not find a Jewish synagogue that will read Isaiah 53. Matter of fact, starting in Isaiah 52, partway through, all the way through 53, they will not read it. Why? We will not have this man as king over us. Romans 9 and 10 will give you an explanation of the peculiar stumbling that Israel suffers with. Because this is so clearly Christ. Every line is a hammer blow. In every word Christ is saying, they are written of me. They are written of me. This is me. I suffered for you, and you will not hear. Therefore, you are cut off. Be blind. Be deaf. Be dumb. When you call out to me, I will not hear you. What did Paul say at the end of Acts, chapter 28? after contending again and again and again and again and again with the Pharisees for years. He finally said, go. Go. You will not hear. The gospel is gone to the Gentiles. They will listen. God has opened their eyes and their ears, and He's doing it to make you jealous. He will give them the salvation the Messiah that you have refused. So, on the next several slides, there are four of them, two, three, four. Had we time, I would have gone through them, but I simply recommend to your attention, Isaiah 53. Skipping past slide four on that one, going to the one of Yeshua on the cross. Yeshua... Hamashiach on the cross. I'm going to give you, here's the promised gift, for being such fine people, for listening and not getting too bored, for not falling asleep and drooling. Be cool, don't drool. I will give you this little gift. We've been looking at Scripture passages wherein, out of 300 plus, a few, wherein you can see Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah woven into the Bible. You cannot pull him out. The Bible means nothing if it does not mean him. Him. Who is Jesus? The one that the scriptures embody and point to without exception. That word Torah, I mentioned it to you. I told you it means teachings, right? Instruction, how to hit the mark is an interesting word. Did you know that in the Hebrew, the letters of the Hebrew not only have a phonetic sound that goes with them. Aleph, beth, Tav, whatever they are. Not only has a phonetic value, it also has a meaning. Each letter has a meaning. It means certain ideas. Plus, it also has a numeric value. The Hebrews counted using characters from their alphabet. That was their counting system, too. They didn't have separate numerals. Everybody following me? Okay? Pretty interesting. The word Torah itself is composed of four letters in the Hebrew. Remember that Hebrew, again, reads from right to left, not left to right. The four letters are Tav. Lav, resh, ne. Okay, on the next slide... those are actually the early pictograms in the Hebrew, before the Hebrew was streamlined and played with and became modern alphabet. These are the original pictograms, that is the original characters that would have been recognized in the day of the writing of Torah as the letters it was written in. And this is, guess what, my timer's done. Uh, this, these, these pictograms, each one has an idea associated with it. So what you're seeing here, if you can make that out, is you're seeing Tav, Vav, Resh, And he. By the way, to pronounce the word, the letter he. See how you have to breathe out. He. It also means breath or spirit. It's part of the meaning of he. Remember when Christ, before he left, he blessed his disciples and said, "Receive the spirit until the spirit comes." Remember that. What did he do? He breathed on them he went ha to each one ha because spirit in the hebrew spirit is breath breath is spirit breath when god breathed into the body of adam the breath of life the wind wind equals breath equals spirit and back and forth, and back and forth. And you can see the word plays, back and forth, all the time. The Spirit is like the wind, said Christ. That's a play on words. That's a play on, receive the Spirit. So, Tav, Lav, Resh, Heh. Next slide. This gets really interesting. So those spell Torah. As I told you the best translation is not law but teachings or instruction. Psalm 119, you now know why the longest psalm goes on and on and on and on about Torah. Not only talks about Torah, but each one of its passages has goes through the alphabet. In Hebrew there are 22 sections. Each of the Hebrew letters has its own section. And each one of the word, the lines in that section begins with that letter. Okay, you say, well, okay, weird. Next slide. As I said, each one of those pictograms had a meaning and the numeric value thereof. But it's on the next slide that it comes together. Tav, in the Hebrew, the letter had the meaning of sign or cross or covenant. The next letter, lav, hook or spike or nail. Resh is the head, the head of a man, the highest. It means all of those things. And hech not, has the embodiment of spirit, But also, behold, and revelation, it reveals. So, then we go to the last, this next slide. Yeshua HaMashiach on the cross, Torah, a sign, the cross, the nail, the highest man, behold. You can see where this is going, right? So, if we flip to the next slide. The word Torah, which was there from the beginning as statements, Behold, the highest man nailed to the cross, or to a cross is nailed the highest, revealed, or what comes from or is revealed by the man, nailed to the cross. The slide that follows then says, Yeshua, the Messiah, nailed to the cross in covenant with us. The heart of the Torah is teaching about him. Torah is the man, the highest man nailed to a cross revealed is Torah. The Torah is me. And in that the people should have known Christ on the cross, Yeshua HaMashiach, the perfect Lamb of God, as he said, they testify about me. If that does not transform you, if that leaves you cold or indifferent, something is terribly wrong with you. No follower of Christ can hear these things without their heart burning within them because these are his words, his prophecies, and even Torah itself points to him. So, when we say, who is Jesus? He is the one about whom all the Holy Scriptures point to. Again, and again, and again, and again. So as you drive your car, you should be seeing Jesus. Again, and again, and again and again. Hit the mark of Torah which is constantly remembering Yeshua HaMashiach, the perfect Lamb of God on the cross paying for your sins so that you might have a new spirit. Receive the spirit. (sighs) Let me breathe upon you the breath of life so that you might live. Why would you die? Those who hate Yeshua love death. Those who love life cling to Yeshua through hell and death and torments. As Martin Luther himself said, we must follow Jesus, the Christ, through hell and death and torments. The biggest challenge to you, I'll say, and then we're done, is this. Persevering. Remaining steadfast and true. Never tossing over your shoulder this great salvation. Never disregarding the salvation you've been given because it cost Yeshua his all and is the perfect statement of his infinite eternal love. Remember that. Let's pray. Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.